mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. As always, I am Sean, your host and moderator, and with me, my partner in crime, Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. Guys, what's up? Today, we are going to cover the February Rumor Roundup, and that includes offerings from Huawei, LG, Samsung, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how Qualcomm and Samsung have a little bit of a buddy-buddy thing going on, and then we'll give a little bit of a preview of Mobile World Congress, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, one of the major tech events of the early part of the year. So. Uh, well, let's get started, and let's start with a company that's been kind of on our minds for a little while now because they made a really great product in their last phone, which was the Nexus 6P, and that's Huawei. Huawei is a Chinese manufacturer who has a very large presence overseas, but up until recently hasn't had a really strong presence stateside, and uh, they started to change that with the Nexus 6P, excuse me. And it uh, looks like the Mate 9 has uh, a pretty good, uh, pretty good life expectancy ahead of it. So what, do, uh, what have we heard about? What do we know about the Huawei Mate 9, Sean? So just for a little context here, Huawei is actually the third largest phone manufacturer in the world behind only Samsung and Apple. Uh, but they haven't really released much in the way of their own flagships in the United States. So as Sean said, their only flagship that made it here was the Nexus 6P, which was really a Google and Huawei kind of co-branded deal. Um, they released the uh, Huawei Honor uh, 8X last year. Honor 8, yeah. Honor 8, pardon. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of the 5X. Honor 8. And that's their sub-brand. So that was their first kind of foray into releasing an unlocked phone here. And for the money, it was $399. It was a lot of a lot of phone. Um, but the Mate 9 is the first time they've released one of their actual Huawei-branded flagships in the United States. So um, just to recap kind of the specs on this thing... Uh, the Huawei Mate 9 has a 5.9-inch 1080p IPS LCD. Um, it has a 4,000 mAh battery, which was which is just giant. It's huge. Um, 64 gig of memory, SD card. Um, it's got dual cameras on the back, the Leica-branded um, cameras. One's a 12-megapixel camera that's a you know color, and then there's a 20-megapixel black-and-white camera that can be used either to take black-and-white images or it's used for... Um, basically light. Uh, Basically, when you take a picture, it's taking a picture of the black and white and the color and it merges it together. So the black and white does better with getting light. And then the uh, color image is kind of melded together with it to give you, in theory, a better image. Um, It has an eight megapixel front facing camera. Um, And then it's kind of interesting too. It's got Huawei's own chip inside of it, which is the Kirin 960. Um, This is the first, to my knowledge, A73, which is the newest ARM architecture-based chip available. Um, It is a big little configuration, so four A73 cores with four A53 small cores. It's built on a 16 nanometer process, so not quite as low as the 14 or 10 nanometer processes that others are using this year, but um, still quite, you know, new from a tech standpoint. Um, I think the big cores max out at 2.4 gigahertz. Um, and then for G- on the GPU side, typically when Huawei's made their own chips, they used a stock ARM reference GPU, which is a four-core design. Um, this is a G71, which is the newest GPU from ARM. Only this time they bumped up from four cores to eight cores in order to make them a little more compatible. Excuse me, competitive with the GPU offerings from the Snapdragon and uh, the Apple A line of chips. So um, from a spec standpoint, 
you know, you listen to all of that, it's very competitive. Um, the price is $599, which for everything it's bringing to the table is, you know, a pretty solid price for it. Um, it's available on Amazon, Best Buy, a bunch of other retailers. It has a one-year warranty, so pretty good deal overall. So they bring this out. It's been reviewed by everyone. I've read over, now got, I don't know, a dozen or so reviews, um, and the reviews are exceedingly positive. Um, first of all, the battery life is phenomenal. Uh, it's right up there with like, you know, the Moto Z Play from last year as far as just insane battery life. People are getting between seven and 10 hours of screen on time, that kind of thing. And I've heard pretty much a solid two days of use overall. Yeah, I mean, very easily, it sounds like. Um, the screen, which is only 1080p, I'm gonna put that in air quotes, um, gets really, really bright over 600 nits. And the contrast is superb, 1600 to one based off GSM arenas, which, you know, a typical good LCD panel is like 1100 to one. So this has better contrast than average, much better. And, you know, again, this is one of those things where I think if it was a Pentile Matrix AMOLED panel, it would be required to be QHD. But uh, for an RBG IPS LCD, 1080p by all accounts is great. Um, so, yeah, anyway, the reviews are just excellent. The camera uh, is great by all accounts. Um, in good light, it is kind of as good as the best out there. In low light, they say it lags a little bit behind the best on the market, the Pixel and the, and the Galaxy S7, but only just... Um, and so this is a big deal. I mean, you know, this is one of those companies that, as you said, they're the third largest manufacturer phones in the world, but have very little presence in the United States. Selling an unlocked phone that works on only AT&T and T-Mobile because it's a GSM phone isn't going to get them huge sales numbers, but they're clearly putting a lot of effort into this and it's kind of dipping their toe into this market. And I think this is a bigger deal than maybe people realize. And it sounds like from all accounts, they've released easily one of the best phones in the last six months, um, I've read a number of reviews that just says flat out, if you had a Note 7 and had to return it, obviously, this is the best best thing going for you. So, um, pretty significant release. And there's a lot of other things to like about it from, from a software standpoint. It is running Android 7.0 NuGet out of the box, or at least a version of 7.0. Um, now... Huawei does have their own custom skin over the top of it. EMUI 5.0 apparently by all accounts is much improved from the 4.0, which the Honor 8 ran, which got kind of a, a tepid review at best. Um, quite a bit more like stock Android in terms of its feel is the new uh, EMUI 5.0. Um, it also has Type-C, so that's kind of a nice thing. It's uh, definitely moving in the direction that most of the other uh, OEMs are coming out with, at least it matches like the Pixel phones and uh, presumably what we'll see in some of the Samsung phones a little bit later on this year. So a really good value, especially if you like a larger phone. It also, I don't remember if we touched on the fact, um, internal storage, 64 gigs, mm -hmm. and it does have SD, SD card, card support uh, up to 256 gigs. So for those of you that need external storage, that's a great option. Um, rear mounted fingerprint scanner, which is kind of what Huawei has done and did with the Nexus 6P. Um, the only thing I think that it doesn't have that most of the other major manufacturers, Apple and Samsung, are doing is some kind of uh, IP water and dust yeah. resistance, which it doesn't have. But um, if you can get over that, this is a terrific value, probably right up there with the one plus three T in terms of from a value proposition. You're getting a lot for your sub six hundred dollars. Yeah, especially considering yesterday Amazon was selling them straight up for four hundred ninety nine dollars and they <throat> ran out at that price point. It's really compelling. We didn't even touch on construction either. You bring up some good points. Um, it still has an IR blaster, which for those of you that want to change 
TV channels and bars or something to mess with them, you you can do that. Always fun. Um, and then from a construction standpoint, it's metal. I mean, metal build, super high quality, nice tactile buttons. Uh, the fingerprint scanner, as Sean alluded to, is on the back, but more so than that, by all accounts, is lightning fast. Insanely like, fast. Significantly yeah. faster. The the Nexus 6P was a Huawei phone and had a, what was at the time a pretty fast fingerprint scanner. And the Pixel basically used the same model from what I can tell. And apparently this new one that's on this the Mate 9 is significantly faster. Um, I've heard some people say it's like you barely, you know, damn near feel your finger on the on the button and you're good to go. So um, I'm, you know, they said Huawei's the third largest manufacturer in the world and this is their first flagship here and... If they can ever, the problem for them is this: when I'm looking down the line, they can continue to release these great phones, but unless they ever get a carrier presence, which is the same problem that Google ran into with the Nexus phones, it's just very difficult to really get sales numbers. I think we've seen this as a challenge for a number of people. So eventually, they're going to have to cross that bridge and figure out a way to get some presence with some of these mobile carriers in the United States. But otherwise, from a hardware hardware standpoint, I think if you look at the totality of the package, this is one of the best phones on the market right now. Really compelling, and uh, definitely if you're in a uh, 5.5-inch display size or larger category, if you're looking for a a straight-up good phablet, that's a good value. Heck, even a great value at this price. Uh, You should definitely check out the Mate 9. It's got a lot to offer. So um, There's another phone that is rumored to be coming out, which we've heard quite a bit about, um, and that's the LG G6. Um, LG is kind of notorious for being one of the absolute worst when it comes to keeping things under wraps as far as their new phones. But in this case, I don't think that's a bad thing because the G5 with its, let's just call a spade a spade at this point, failed modularity experiment um, was definitely, those leaks that came out ahead of time about that um, served, I think, to give a lot of people some some unhappiness that only was proven true when the device was released. In and of itself, it's fine. Um, and it actually has a lot of things going for it, but the, the idea and the implementation of the modularity with the friends was definitely half-baked at best and a downright embarrassment to LG at worst. But from what it sounds like, the new G6 is maybe set to change all of that, and LG might have actually done something crazy, and that's listen to what people actually want in a smartphone. What do we know about the G6, John? Or think we know. I think we know everything about the G6. (laughs) I would take it a step further and say not only has LG not had this under wraps, a lot of people, um, I saw David Ruddick, who's an editor on uh, Android Police, um, they're convinced that basically these quote-unquote leaks have just been a a controlled... PR um, campaign. Yes, PR campaign by (laughs) LG. Because they have a a phone that, it looks nice, but the design is pretty standard. So what what are we looking at here with with the G6? It's... First of all, I don't know how to say this. It's a very generic looking smartphone. And what I mean by that is it's a very, just, it's a rectangle, right? Um, more so than, than some of their other phones. There isn't a whole lot of interesting design going on from that standpoint. But um, they've moved to a glass and metal wafer construction. So it looks very much like the flat screen GS7, kind of, only less curved on the edges. So, um, you know, metal metal band around the making up the spine of the device, and then a glass on both sides. Um, what they've done, though, it has very, very little bezel. The top especially is very small. They've moved to a 5.7-inch, 18-9 um, uh, aspect ratio, 2880 by 1440p QHD IPS LCD. Um, so 
basically what they've done is they made a phone that is uh, narrow but tall. And this is a trend you see, that everyone seems to be moving towards this year. When we get to Samsung, they're doing the exact same thing. So everyone has decided that when people are using phones, the thing that seems to matter as far as comfort is the width of the phone more so than the height of the phone. So they're making phones with bigger screens that are taller or narrower. So um, LG is following suit, and uh, that's what we're going to get from them in the screen department. Um, the battery is non-removable now, and we're losing the IR blaster, but... In place of that, we're getting water resistance, so it's going to be IP68 dust and water resistance. So I think when you're looking at the average consumer, the water resistance probably matters more than the IR blaster and even the removable battery as long as it has a sufficiently large one. So I tend to agree there, too. I think that that's becoming a, a new must-have for most people. Yeah, and the removable battery thing at this point, it just it isn't a thing anymore. There aren't removable batteries. They're the last OEM to move over. I don't think you can penalize them too harshly for that at this point. I think the trade-offs are not worth it, and the market's decided that. Um, so, okay, now here's the part that gets a little bit interesting. Um, when we last were talking about the G6, we thought it was going to use the Snapdragon 835. Um, we know that the Galaxy S8 is going to use the Snapdragon 835. Uh, the assumption was all the flagships were this year. When HTC announced their flagship, the U Ultra, back in January, we gave them a hard time because they released a phone with a Snapdragon 821, and we were commenting on how do you expect to compete with the big boys if you're using last year's processor. So LG is doing the same thing. They're using the Snapdragon 821. And the reason for this is um, Samsung apparently has bought the entire first allotment of Snapdragon 835s from Qualcomm. Um, this is kind of a crappy deal from my perspective. Uh, Qualcomm uses Samsung for manufacturing their chips. Samsung's the one that produces the S835 on their 10 nanometer process. They're the only company in the world right now that can produce that in enough size to use um, for these giant smartphone releases. So this is kind of a first where Samsung, for whatever reason, is literally getting an allotment that means that if anyone else wants to use the flagship chip for this year, they would have to release a phone effectively two months after the Galaxy phones. So LG and HTC, for lack of a better word, were screwed. I don't know what you do if you're them. You already are dealing with a company that has a lot more market share and infinitely more marketing budget, and now you're having to battle them using lesser components, if you will, because they've effectively monopolized the first batch. I think LG's done the right thing here. I think if LG waited to release the G6 until two months after the Galaxy S8, it would be swallowed whole, and that would be that for them. So I think they made the right decision. The Snapdragon 821 is a very capable chip. I'm not sure how much people really pay attention to these things. Um, in general, I think if you ask most people what chips inside their phone, they have no earthly idea. So again, I think LG made the right decision here, but it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I hate this idea that Samsung's so huge, they already have a lot of advantages in the market. Oh, and by the way, they produce the chips, so they're getting the entire first allotment. Now. They are Qualcomm's biggest customer for chips, so you know it, it could be something as simple as that. If it's a little weird, if Qualcomm had TSMC, which is another giant chip company making the chips, and then sold it to Samsung, that somehow would be less shaky to me than the fact that Qualcomm has Samsung make the chip, and now they get the first allotment. I, I don't know. It, it it makes me feel a little bit bad for HTC and LG because it, it puts them on an unlevel playing field, and I I don't like that idea. And I tend to agree um, in the 
February edition of Silicon Theories, I touched on this a little bit, and I knew we were going to expand on this in the podcast. There are some uh, competitive balance reasons here that probably should be explored to a greater or lesser extent. But yeah, it seems kind of weird. I mean, if you're looking at the marketplace in general, of course, that supply and demand are going to dictate where these chips are going to go. And Qualcomm's going to go. Samsung's going to sell probably a crap ton of phones in their Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus series. And it just makes sense that if you want your product to sell, that you put it in something that is also going to sell really well. Now, HTC and LG do get the short end of the stick when you come out on this. And it is kind of sad because you'll never know what the truest potential of these devices could be because they're not running the latest and greatest. And just as point of reference, the Snapdragon 821 is the chips that's powering uh, the Pixel phones, both of them in fact, and these were released in October of last year. So clearly those chips have been made available for a while and they're probably available in plenty because nobody other than HTC and LG is going to be using them. Apple's not using them because they have their own custom architecture. We've already touched on Huawei who uses their own uh, custom processors as well. And potentially there are rumors still going around that Google might even use their own custom chip at some point. So really it's kind of a three-way tie for big names in terms of these processors for Qualcomm. And those are HTC and LG and combined, they don't have the market share even close that Samsung does. So from a business standpoint, it does make a certain kind of sense. If you're an LG or HTC apologist or supporter, does it suck? Yeah, absolutely it does. What can be done about it? I really don't know. So, okay, I've given both of them a pass for using the A21 because I think they made the right move to try to beat the Galaxy S8 to market. But then now I'm going to hit them both a little bit on some poor decisions. HTC releases, or excuse me, announced their phone, the U Ultra, in January. You're correct, because releases would not be accurate. It doesn't release until March, like mid to late March. We've talked about this a lot of times before. I don't know what they're thinking. First of all, Mobile World Conference will have happened by then, meaning there's going to be a bunch of other phones that are going to be announced and released that you're going to be able to probably pre-order at that point. Any thunder they had is long gone at that point. I guess the strategy was to try to get as many early sales as they could for whatever that's worth in January. But man, it would have been a lot easier if they actually announced it in January and started selling it right away before these other phones came to market. Now, as for LG, as I said, I think their strategy is sound to try to beat the Galaxy S8 to market too. So this phone's going to be announced on the G6 on February 26th. And the rumor was that it was going to be released on March 9th or 10th. Well, it looks like it is going to be released on March 9th or 10th, but only in Korea, South Korea, not North Korea. They don't have cell phones or electricity or anything there. Um, But now it sounds like it's not going to be released in the States until like April 7th or something. So by then, (laughs) Samsung was going to hold their event on March 29th. So by the time LG actually releases this thing in the United States, this turns out to be accurate. Any head start they've had is basically completely useless because the Galaxy S8 is going to be announced and pre-orders are going to be happening. From a sales standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, I just don't get it. If you announce this on February 26th and then it's released right away in the United States one or two weeks later, you've accomplished what you wanted to. You've effectively released this phone six weeks early ahead of the Galaxy S8, which releases on April 21st. So now you can get some sales, some momentum going, those kinds of things. If it doesn't end up releasing until two weeks before the Galaxy S8, it's irrelevant if you announce it five weeks earlier. People are going to move on. 
And especially if you're looking at a situation where if, and we've already beaten on several other OEMs for announcing phones and then waiting for weeks or months before releasing them and how that's a terrible idea for your business strategy, but potentially if LG had been able to make this phone available in you know, mid to late March, they would have also gotten the positivity, presumably, of several other tech sites' reviews because once the embargo is lifted and positive things start to come out, again, kind of as Sean P's already mentioned, this starts to build some buzz around your brand and potentially you could get some momentum before the Samsung devices, then the plural, which we'll touch on in a few minutes, uh, get launched and potentially try and capitalize on any leftover brand negativity that Samsung has from the Note 7 fiasco. So every single advantage that you had by using the time frame and using the chip that was available to get this phone ready to go into production has been basically taken, wadded up, and thrown in the trash and then set on fire because no one is going to buy or recognize the LG device once Samsung's new phones get here. I can almost virtually assure that every single person who takes a look comparatively between these two devices, unless there is some kind of obscene failure on Samsung's part, is going to walk away going, I think the LG has a competitive advantage, especially when they're going to be made available around the same time eventually. It just, it makes zero, they actually, no, I'm going to take it back. It makes less than zero sense. Negative sense. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that kind of boggles my mind is the last major release was the Pixel, red. Correct. And that was in what, October? October. And that's only on one carrier. So the last really multi-release, multi-carrier release last year was probably the LG V20. So we're talking again like October timeframe or something. So there hasn't been anything quote unquote new and shiny released for quite a while now. So if that had actually come to market when they released it within a week of being announced, for instance, presumably the G5 was on all the carriers and you would presume the G6 would be the same. It would have carrier support, some momentum. It would be on all four carriers. It's something you can buy right away. Um, they would have some, you know, something going for it now, I, you know, I just don't see it. And we kind of made fun of this last time too, the last time we spoke. The last time we looked at the statistics, there was more recalled Note 7s out there than there were LG V20s that had sold, just to give you an idea of the headwinds that LG's already up against. So they made the right call on the 821. They made the right call on the design. I think it's mostly what you want. It's a little boring looking, but it's otherwise nice. From what I can tell, it has almost everything you would want. But if they release it only two weeks before the Galaxy S8, I don't see them making any real headway from where they were at last year, which is an a- means they're an afterthought. Yeah, nowhere at all. And uh, just as point of reference as well, even though the design may be boring, people said the same thing about the Pixel's design, and you pretty much can't buy a Pixel because they're sold out everywhere. So clearly, um, making a phone that works and does what most people want it to do is definitely higher priority in terms of the end user consumer than it's, you know, neat tricks and gadgets and trinkets and other things that it can do Um, because the Pixel just works really well. I mean, we've talked about this before. It may be boring looking, but in terms of performance, it absolutely kills it. And that's what people want. And I think if LG had put out what, you know, could be a comfortably safe design, but has a beautiful display, has a great battery life and has a lot of features packed into it, I think it would have sold. I really do. And I don't think it's going to now. And I don't know what LG was hoping to accomplish by doing this, but I don't think it's going to do very well for them. I hope the rumors are wrong. I hope LG releases the phone everywhere on March 10th, because if they do that, 
they put themselves in the best position they can given the circumstances and they did the right thing. If they wait till early April, it's just it's a it's a losing strategy. That's it. That'll be a blow to their business as well, for sure. Uh, speaking of rumors and speaking of a giant corporation releasing phones that will actually have the Snapdragon 835, what do we think we know about the S8 and the S8 Plus? So since the last time we talked, not a whole lot has changed. The rumors of basically this kind of bezel-less design with, you know, upwards of 85% of the front being a screen and removal of the home button have just been kind of further proven through all the leaks. So... What we're looking at is two phones. We're looking at the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S8 Plus. Um, the Galaxy S8 is going to be a 5.8 inch screen, and the Galaxy S8 Plus is going to be a 6.2 inch screen. You're probably listening out there going, my God, those are huge phones. That's probably because I'm sitting right across from you, and I'm going, my God, those are huge phones. Yeah, so here's the deal. Um, Samsung's doing the same thing LG is. So these phones are basically 18.5 to 1 aspect ratio, which means, again, they're very tall but narrow. So the, it looks like the resolution is actually changing to 2960 by 1440. So it's, again, staying the same width, but much taller. Um, so based on the rumored dimensions that have kind of leaked out, the Galaxy S8 Plus is going to be taller than a Note 5, but narrower, about as narrow as the 5.5-inch S7 Edge that's out now. And then the 5.8-inch um, Galaxy S8, the normal one, is effectively similar in footprint to the Galaxy S7, a little bit, you know, taller, but similar, you know, width. I think, you know, on the whole, these phones are pretty tall, I would say, but I think Samsung's on the right track here as far as the width being the thing that bothers people when you have it in your hand. I think it's a little misleading too, because when you hear 5.8 inch and 6.2 inch, we're thinking of it in terms of the normal 16 by nine aspect ratio. And it's not, uh, with this new aspect ratio, it actually probably has less frontal area than like a 5.5 inch 16 by nine screen maybe. But this is a way of getting more information without, um, you know, on the front of the device, on the screen without sacrificing the width of it. Um, as far as specs are concerned, you know, same things we've already talked about, Snapdragon S835, uh, probably an Exynos 8895 in international markets. Uh, RAM, we're getting conflicting reports, four or six gig. The Note 7 was rumored to have six, ended up coming with four. This was rumored to have six all the way along. Now there's some rumors out there that it may have four as well. Um, I'm not sure I care either way, really. It, there's rumors too, it might be six in both in other markets like China, which we heard with the Note 7. That never happened because they ended up exploding. Um, you know, other things, single rear camera, but probably an 8-megapixel upgraded front camera. The battery capacity is actually going to be probably about the same as the ones now. 3,000 milliamp hours for the smaller one, 3,500 for the larger, which is actually slightly smaller than the one that was in the S7 Edge. Um, a lot of people are kind of complaining about this. I think it's too early to tell. With the smaller chips, bigger screens though, but they might be more energy efficient than the last generation. We don't really know where this is going to go as far as battery life, but you know, my Note 5 has a 3000 milliamp hour battery and I do okay. So I'm willing to bet it'll be fine. Uh, I think the other thing here is the designs that have leaked have the fingerprint scanner right to the side of the camera. Now we get to it. Now which, we get to it. Which is by my estimation, the worst implementation I've ever seen for a fingerprint scanner. I at first thought, it's weird, I actually hold my phone in my left hand, but I know most people hold their phone with their right handed, because uh, they're right handed. Um, the fingerprint scanner is actually 
where the heart rate and flash is to the left side of the camera on the Note 5. And if you hold that with your left hand and you try to touch it with your finger, it is freaking uncomfortable. Now, with your right hand, it actually is pretty natural feeling. You can just kind of reach across, except for the fact you have no idea where it is. So you're going to be constantly putting your finger all over your camera, smudging it up. I don't know what they're thinking here. Unless there's some kind of internal reason they couldn't have put it right in the middle of the back like every other rear uh, fingerprint scanner on planet Earth. I have no idea what the play is here. There's some possibility that they're, you know, it's going to have an iris scanner the same as the Note 7 did. And there's some rumors that maybe it's a new generation iris scanner that's so fast that they're kind of banking on you using that. I don't care what it is. It is janky. I actually, I hope, I hope it's wrong. Um, it's the only thing about the design. It's so strange too, because the design otherwise is like brilliant. It looks like a phone of the future. The front really is, I mean, it's kind of a work of art as far as there's no bezel. It's this cool curved screen, infinity screen, and they've kept the width really manageable. And then you look on the back and you're like, what the hell is that kidney bean shit? Oh, that's the fingerprint scanner? Come on, man. That's just awful. It literally, literally looks like they took the home button from the bottom center of the front of the display because they had to move it because you've got this beautiful infinity look on the front. They took that oval-shaped piece of crap and they flipped the phone over and said, we want this back to look symmetrical. And if you put this bean on the back in the center, it's not going to look symmetrical. Plus, you're probably going to have this giant T-shaped cutout for, for cases. Let's put it right next to where the camera lens is and or Samsung hates left-handed people. I wish you were exaggerating when you say that, but that's exactly what it looks like. It is the laziest thing. It looks like someone <laughs> literally in Photoshop went, hey, we're moving that button. Hey, we have a lot of spare buttons laying around. What should we do with those? Hey, let's glue it on the back. I mean, it looks it, it looks so fake on the initial release of these pictures that people said, nah, that can't possibly be it. But then on subsequent leaks, it keeps showing up over and over again. I think at this point, that's exactly the way they're going to do it. And I have to say, it is freaking awful. And, and this is one of those weird decisions, too, where, again, from an engineering standpoint, I'm looking at everything else they did for the Galaxy S8. And I'm like, wow, that was like really something. And then I look at that and I go, what the hell happened there? Like, did they get drunk one night when they were finishing the design and they said, ah, screw it. We're just gonna we're gonna put it right on the side of the freaking camera. I mean, it's just it's dreadful. It is bad. They spent. This is true. I I 100% believe that you're accurate. When they they the engineering team went out and said we have the front, we have engineered the display of this device to be beautiful. They went out, got drunk to celebrate, and then came back and said. Holy shit, we forgot the whole back of the phone. Let's slap something together right now. It's pretty rough. Um, as far as good news on the back, the camera protrusion is now 0.2 millimeters, which is significantly reduced even from the Note 7, which was almost flush. So, I mean, at this point, we're talking about a, a basically a flush camera, which is a minor miracle. But actually, in this particular case, that probably makes this problem worse because now everything's flat. It's not even a protrusion. You're just gonna be searching all over the back. You're gonna be touching that camera lens constantly. It is just a, it is a craptastic design. I don't know what the hell they're thinking, but otherwise the phone looks awesome. It's gonna be announced March 29th. Uh, rumor is it releases on April 21st. Um, it looks like Samsung's gonna be pretty aggressive. There's already some discussion of whether or not T-Mobile's gonna do a buy one, get one, that kind of thing again. Um, I think they have, they need to make a big splash after the Note 7, obviously. Um, I'm using Splash instead of 
boom for obvious reasons. Um, that phone was fire. Man. Yeah, it was fire. Um, so yeah, you know, the only other thing is again, the rumors have been, you know, there's been all these rumors of like Bixby, which is this new assistant that Samsung's going to roll out. It was supposed to be based off of this artificial intelligence company they bought. Then recently I just saw a rumor saying, well, actually it's just S voice on steroids, which S voice sucks. So if it's S voice on steroids, I don't envision that being something that's going to necessarily be a huge step forward. Um, we really don't know at this point. I think at this point, this happens every release cycle with every phone. You have, you start with the rumors that it's going to be like, you know, the Jesus phone itself with everything that you can possibly think of. And then as you get a little bit closer, it turns out, you know, the fantasy is, the reality is not quite as nice as the fantasy. But I think just alone, the design standpoint, the way that it's going to look, consumers are going to walk into somewhere, see these things on display and go, wow, that looks, you know, really cool. And that's probably enough for most people. So... Um, I think Samsung's going to sell a buttload of these things. Um, I actually feel bad for any company kind of trying to deal with them toe-to-toe except for Apple. Um, I'm going to get a Galaxy S8 Plus. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. So we'll have one when, as soon as they come out. But uh, it looks impressive except for that damn fingerprint scanner. My God, it's terrible. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, considering that this may be amongst the worst design choices maybe in the history of any OEM, I still think it's not going to stop Samsung from selling a crap ton of them. And I think that people will go, eh, I can probably figure it out and deal with it. Um, The only other group of folks that I can think might feel um, the same way in terms of uh, even the, the bad placement of the fingerprint scanner is probably not going to scare them too much. Is maybe Google because the Pixel 2 uh, rumors are starting to leak out. But um, more on that a little bit later as we have some more information. The only other thing maybe worth noting is that, and I'll use this kind of as a segue, is there has been a rumor that we might actually get a little bit of a sneak peek at the Galaxy S8 at Mobile World Congress, although Samsung is not going to be making the official announcement there because um, they're leaving MWC in favor of their own announcement, which I believe will be held in New York. So March 29th, New yeah. York. Yeah. March 29th in New York. But we might see something at w- or MWC, so uh, stay tuned for that. And, and well. they really should show something at this point. Enough's leaked out at this point that we've kind of seen what it looks like to some degree. So I think in a controlled setting with a nice promo video that lasts a minute without giving too many details away, um, it would, again, help to stunt the growth of anyone else that's kind of trying to release a phone in the interim. So uh, I think that would be a smart decision on their part. Absolutely. Other than uh, LG, which we know will probably be there, what else do we think we have going on at MWC at the end of this month? So MWC is kind of weird this this year. I think the main attraction is definitely going to be the G6. So that's going to be the main thing that, again, gets announced on February 26th. Would you say that the G6 was pretty fly? Yeah, I knew you were going to do that. And uh, <laughs> even having been prepared for it, I still kind of feel like throwing up right now. But um, moving on from that... Uh, you know, Samsung's going to show their new tablet, the Galaxy Tab S3. Um, the rumors on this are it's a Snapdragon 820 powered tablet, 4 gig of RAM. Uh, it's keeping the 4-3 aspect ratio. Uh, screen measurement, maybe 9.6 inches. The last one was 9.7 inches, so somewhere in that range. Um, a render leaked out from, I think it was Slash Gear. It's unclear to me. It started being propagated all over the internet as this is the actual tablet itself. I was unclear if it was someone who created this or if it actually was a leak of what we're going to see, but Hmm. it's actually a curved tablet. So it has an edge side like the um, 
you know, edge phones that they've been releasing. And so it's a narrower tablet and it looks cool, you know, with the side edges. We've discussed the dubious use case for the edges. But again, it makes the screen narrower, so it makes the tablet a little easier to, to hold. Um, I believe the render still had a home button, though, which is a little weird. Uh, you would think if they're going to get rid of it on their phones, they might get rid of it on their tablet as well. But I believe the render that I saw still had that, so we'll see. And it has, you know, upgraded cameras and everything. Um, still AMOLED screens. Uh, oddly enough, you know, historically the last two releases, Samsung's released a large and small at the same time, but all we've seen so far in leaks is the large one. So it remains to be seen if they're going to release like an 8-inch tablet. Maybe it's one of those things where the smaller one just wasn't selling that well, so they're just going to release the bigger one. Um, you know, Sean and I have discussed and lamented the state of the Android tablet situation, and it hasn't gotten any better since then. It's crappy. No one's really releasing high-end tablets at all, though. This is honestly the first high-end release if you can call it that, since probably the Galaxy Tab S2, the last time Samsung did it. Or the Pixel C, even. Uh, yeah, from a system-on-chip standpoint, the, the Snapdragon 820 is not the newest game in town, but it's close enough that I think you could still call it flagship level-ish as far as uh, power is concerned. Um, I'm actually keeping an eye on this. My, uh, you know, I have an aging LG 8.3 tablet that's really starting to show its age, and there really is nothing else out there, so this may be something I pick up. Uh, I told Sean, though, you know, if I buy a Galaxy S8 Plus and a Samsung tablet, that probably makes me a complete Samsung homer at that point, and he might kick me out of the pod. But um, We were uh, debating, I believe, over whether the term probably was accurate, because it would definitely make you a Samsung fanboy. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, because, hey, we might get two reviews out of it instead of one. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, so we'll see what happens there. As far as the others, Sony is going to show some stuff. We've seen a couple leaked Sony phones. Uh, their ex a successor to the XA and the XZ, have kind of, XZ, I believe it is, have made the rounds. Mm -hmm. I think those are the last, the last two Sony flagships. And they basically show a version that's kind of, it has smaller side bezels, but it still has a pretty decent sized top and bottom bezels. Um, I made a joke last time. The first batch of G6 renders showed pretty healthy top and bottom bezels, which turned out to be wrong. Uh, and we made fun of them saying LG didn't get the note about small bezels this year. Um, apparently they did, but Sony may not have. Correct. And I think if if I remember right, and I might uh, instead actually be just making this up off the top of my head, but I think what we said was bezeline in 2017. Yeah, it, it's possible you made that bad joke then too. Um Whoa. Would you like to take it back, or are you going to stand by? No, no, I'm going to stand by. Okay, with that's it. fine. You can you can hold on to that one for now, anyway. Um, so, yeah, you know, Sony's going to have some stuff. Uh, I would imagine HTC is not going to show anything new, but we'll probably see the U Ultra again or something. Um, it's a little bit subdued. Um, Samsung usually had kind of announced their flagship around this time, but this year, probably no small part due to the Note Seven, they're going to be a little bit later. So. We're not getting as much out of them. As Sean alluded to, we may see a minute teaser from them. Um, other than that, I'm not sure what we're going to get. Huawei supposedly is going to show maybe a, a smaller uh, version of the Honor, like flagship, I've heard. Um, maybe a successor to the Honor 8. There's kind of been some rumors thrown around. Uh, so we'll probably see some stuff from them. But uh, other than that, I'm not sure. Like Oppo, I'm not sure if they're going to show anything. And then uh, we have... Uh, I'm trying to think what other Chinese OEMs are there. I don't think Xiaomi, Xiaomi? Really is going to have much of a presence either this year. Now the white me mix uh, came out into the wild already this week, so I yes. think we're, we're not probably going to see too much from them. It would be my guess anyways. 
Yeah, I don't know what we're seeing from them. They're kind of having some internal struggles of their own. Hugo Barra left the company, and um, their sales this last year were not quite what it was before then. So I don't know what we'll see from them. But uh, yeah, overall, you know, I expect to see some cool stuff. But I think the star of the show is going to be the G6. Uh, I think secondary might be the Galaxy S8 teaser could be pretty cool depending on how they present it. And then, as I said, we'll see what Sony has to show. Um, it's kind of too bad though. Sony's for all intents and purposes, not they don't really have a presence in the U.S. market, and there's rumors all the time they're going to get out of the smartphone business entirely. So, I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but I guess we'll see what they have to show. Seems a little strange since Sony has such a huge presence here stateside and almost every other kind of consumer electronic, and some of their phones in the past have been really, really good. So, I don't, uh, I don't pretend to get it, but eh, that's on them. I, you know, I don't know. My mom actually has a Sony Xperia Z3, and it's a it's a great phone. Um, I think that Sony just never could get. They never had all the pieces together. They always had like a missing piece, kind of like HTC. Like it was one of those things where Sony phones by themselves had a lot of cool stuff going for them, but when you compared them feature to feature with an iPhone or a Galaxy phone, it always had some area that wasn't quite as good, and that historically has been the camera. But that's kind of a big deal for most people. I think when you're looking at a phone for most people, that's one of the top three things that people are looking for. So if you have subpar cameras, I think you're dead. Yeah, DOA for sure. And so we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, the next couple of months are going to be exciting. Um, we have Mobile World Conference, and then, of course, we do have the Samsung Twins coming out. So there's going to be some cool stuff coming down the line. Um, it, I don't know. Though, this year's kind of weird. After that, there's going to be a lull again because HTC apparently isn't going to release into their flagship until they can get the Snapdragon 835 in it. And that might be June or July. Uh, Motorola has been quiet. Um, there's been G5 leaks, but nothing as far as their higher-end phones, really. Nothing of consequence. Lenovo, Motorola, they've been typically later in the year, so maybe that's going to be the case again this year. Apple um, will be second half of the year. Google's phone will be second half of the year. The Note 8 will be second half of the year. For sure. And I would imagine they may be a little <clears throat> bit later this year. And then we have the Pixel 2, um, as you alluded to. The rumors are just starting to come out. But there's going to be this like big divide this year, where in the past we would get kind of a... We, we used to get a G Flex phone in the first month or two of the year. Then we would get an HTC flagship um, we would get an LG flagship and the Samsung flagships all, you know, within the next few months. And then the second half of the year was kind of everyone else. This year, it looks like we're getting HTC semi HTCU ultra flagship in quotes, not released on carriers. We're getting the G6, which is a flagship um, released, and then we'll get the Samsung guys. But it feels smaller, uh, like the industry is kind of consolidating down a bit. Um which is strange to think of because the phones themselves are poised to be quite outstanding. I mean, we've got what Samsung has to release, which will probably be two really, really quality phones with potentially a note coming down the road. We've got the 10th anniversary iPhone, which is supposed to be coming out this year. The Google Pixel 2, presumably, which hopefully should build off of what was a really solid start in the initial Pixel phone. So we might have a smaller number of quality offerings, but the ones that are out there are poised to be truly exceptional, which, you know, if you're guys like us, is really exciting. Yeah, it's just interesting. Though. I think the second half of the year is going to be more interesting than the first half of the year, which is unusual. Usually it's kind of flipped. It used to be historically the first half of the year, especially the first four months or so with MWC and everything was when you got the bulk of the activity. But now it's like, you know, LG's bigger phone will come out the second half of the year. The Pixel 2, the OnePlus, the Motorola phones, the Note 8, uh, Apple's 
seven S whatever they're going to do. Plus their Apple X, you know, super iPhone. Dun, dun, dun. Um, all this stuff second half. So it's, it's definitely a little bit of a reversal from where we've been before. And the first half feels a little bit less exciting. Uh, but I do think the G six and the galaxy S eight are going to be really, really solid phones. And, uh, I'm excited to see those. So that's for something. sure. For sure. Anything else before we uh, sign off? No, not a whole lot else. We'll do another pod uh, after MWC and kind of recap. Maybe there'll be some surprises there. Um, I think, too, at some point we're going to have to tackle, you know, as I said, the Pixel rumors are starting to come out and the Apple iPhone rumors are starting to come out. Uh, the iPhone rumors this year are bizarre, though. I, I've never... Apple, because of how many phones they make, usually the leaks are pretty solid by now, what their design choices are, because they're already tooling up, you know, to produce 100 million iPhones. This year, it's all over the place. So that's another subject for another pod. I think we've already discussed the iPhones twice and all of the information that we've discussed. Some of it may be still correct, but man, it's all over the place this year. I, I really don't. They're a real wild card for me this year, which is unusual. I have no idea what I'm expecting from them. The only thing I think that is of note that's come out to me recently that has been extremely shocking is that don't be surprised if the iPhone X costs $1,000 or more, which I just threw up a little bit in my mouth saying that. So Yeah, I know. The $1,000 smartphone has become a thing, too, and that is just... It's, you can buy like an Ultrabook for a thousand dollars, right? Yeah, you can, mean, you can buy two Chromebooks for a thousand dollars. It's pretty wild, but uh, yeah, the super premium phone market—it it still boggles my mind that we're moving up market with the Pixel. Samsung's phones are rumored to be more expensive this year, and the iPhone in the land of the OnePlus 3T and the Huawei Mate 9 that are spectacularly good phones for literally like just about half between half and seventy percent as much money. Um, Every, every time we talk about this, it's like, oh, they're going to not be able to pull this off eventually because people are going to realize they can buy phones for less. And every time I say that, the phones are $50 more expensive the next year. So what the hell do I know? <laughs> and they sell in the tens of millions. So <laughs> like Sean said, we'll have something uh, after MWC, uh, which starts on February 27th. So stay tuned for that. But uh, in the meantime, you can always check us out at silicontheory.com. You can reach us uh, if you have any tips or anything, other items that you'd like us to cover at silicontheory at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at silicontheory. And uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. And we will catch you in the next one. See you soon, guys.